If you get a chance to visit the Expo 2020 Dubai site and you find yourself walking around the pavilions, you might start to notice public art dotted around the site. There are 11 pieces in all, and it might not be immediately clear what they're about, because by design, they're open to interpretation. Every artwork has a label, and every artwork's label describes what the artwork is and it enables you to view it in the way the artist may have created it. This is Dr. Hayat Shamsuddin, Senior Vice President for Arts and Culture at Expo 2020 Dubai. However, it doesn't stop you from thinking, oh, I, did, I see it in this particular way. It's our perception, and it's our perception to see commonalities and see particulars. You know, so we, we do have something in common, but we also have something very different. And the way we bridge it is through imagination. So it is how you see things. Some of it could be the same, some of it could be very different, but we still can connect. The pieces were produced by artists from around the world, but are tied together by a common theme. They're all inspired by the 10th century Arab scientist, Ibn al-Haytham. Ibn al-Haytham was very much a suitable or, or a very relevant uh, personality because he was a scientist and also a philosopher, actually. Born at a time where it's referred to as the Golden Age. It was a time where there were, it's a creative period that saw many advances in science, in medicine, in, in even technology of that time. And it was almost like an intellectual heyday. He's most famous for a book that defined, for the first time, many of the scientific principles we still use today, especially to do with light and vision. The book was called Kitab al-Manadir, or the Book of Optics. In Arabic, it's actually referenced as the Book of Sceneries. And Ibn al-Haytham was the first scientist who, he spoke about how we perceive, he speaks about vision, about perception, and about the power of imagination. And when you have an expo that is talk, that's bringing together cultures, that's bringing together nations, that's engaged in dialogue over a six-month period on many topics of concern to all of us, of humanity, he's very much a suitable candidate in terms of his relevance. But in particular, it was one part of Ibn al-Haytham's work that caught the Expo team's attention. He has a phrase in his book of sceneries that says, and I'll say it in Arabic here, which means that a complete picture is created, understood through the power of imagination. So for us as people, me and you, how we can understand each other and how we can bridge our understanding uh, for each other would be through the power of imagination. Today, we're going back in time to look at the story of Ibn al-Haytham, the public art program his work inspired, and how it hopes to integrate into the everyday life of District 2020 after the Expo is finished. I'm Noon Saleh, and this is Inside Expo, an official podcast of Expo 2020 Dubai, where history is being made. Five, 
to hear about Ibn al-Haytham's story and about the Book of Optics, we wanted to speak to a historian who could tell us more. Zainab Kulili Karashahan. I am a fourth-year doctoral student at Johns Hopkins University in the History of Science and Technology Department. I worked on Ibn al-Haytham in my master's studies. I was actually so drawn to Ibn al-Haytham when I found out his uniqueness in, in the sense of he's a unique figure standing so modernly in the middle of the Middle Ages. So that's why I was so interested in studying his books and especially the Book of Optics, which is his revolutionary book. But to understand how Ibn al-Haytham came to write the Book of Optics, it helps to go back a little bit. Zainab has been able to piece together parts of his life story, but what we know is limited. We even don't know for sure that whether he had a family, but uh, in his autobiography, Ibn al-Haytham actually draws a nice portrait of himself as a very observant student of nature, that he was so interested in natural uh, phenomena since his childhood. We know that he was born in Basra in the 10th century, 965, and he had an administrative office under the Buyid dynasty. And then he quitted his job and moved to Cairo. And why he moved to Cairo is uh, speculated in historical studies. One speculation holds that he quitted his job and moved to Cairo because he wanted to work on his scientific pursuits. He wasn't able to focus on them uh, while he was um, working in an administrative office. And the second one is that he moved to Cairo because he heard about a dam construction project on the Nile. But the Egyptian engineers were struggling to make this construction project work. So Ibn al-Haytham was invited by the Egyptian caliph, al-Hakim, to travel to Egypt and see if he could help. But somehow, when he went there, he saw that it is not possible to build a dam on the Nile because of the geography. But he stayed in Cairo, nevertheless. And in Cairo, between 1011 and 1021, was when Ibn al-Haytham came out with his landmark work, the Book of Optics. It consists of seven parts, and it focuses on different features of light, like one section on reflection, one section on uh, refraction, and so on. But part of the reason this book was so groundbreaking is because it completely flipped the existing theories of vision at the time. There were two basic theories about uh, how vision occurs when we uh, look at something. The first one was extra emission theory, which uh, held that there was an innate light in our eye. And when we look at something, we were able to see with this light. Under this theory, our eyes beam light onto the world. And that's how we see, a bit like a flashlight. But this was not able to explain why we couldn't see in the dark. So Ibn al-Haytham started investigating it. And one of the ways he did that was with this thing called a camera obscura. So a camera obscura is a dark room without any light. And then the researcher puts a small pinhole. He opens a pinhole and the sight on the outside of this dark room comes through this pinhole and it is reflected on, on the wall. Imagine the room like a giant camera, and the pinhole in the window is the lens. Through this camera obscura and other experiments with light, he laid out some of the basic principles of vision that we still follow today. So this book is so novel in its content, and also in it is kind of rebellion to the authority, because he's all the time advising uh, the researcher 
to be suspicious of the ancient authors and also be suspicious of himself. And he says that uh, we have a theory at the beginning and then we go to data. And if the data doesn't confirm it, we should go back and work on our theory again. But it was one particular idea laid out in the Book of Optics that our perception of things is subjective, that two people could see the same object in totally different ways, that partly inspired the Expo 2020 public art program. He discovered that vision isn't just about light and it's not just about what we see, but it's also about our psychology. He said that what we see is very subjective. He also demonstrated that vision occurs in, uh, in the brain rather than the eye. This is the Emirati artist Asma Hamar, who was one of the 11 artists commissioned to produce a piece for the public art program. So this idea of like, you know, vision and sight or al-basar wal basira in Arabic, this idea I think reflected in uh, my mind in a way that I actually confront what we see versus what we remember. She chose to interpret the Book of Optics theme by focusing on the feeling of nostalgia and her memories of driving back to Dubai as a child. Asma designed three sculptures meant to commemorate historic buildings in the UAE, ones that she and many others in the region remember as landmarks of their childhood. They're the Toyota Building, named after a long-standing Toyota billboard on its roof, the Trade Center, and the Trade Center Apartments. One of them is the ritual of visiting uh, your uh, relatives. If you live in Dubai or you live in this area, I think you would definitely experience moving or passing by the cities because they're so close to each other, Sharjah, Dubai, Abu Dhabi, and uh, other, the other Emirates. So I personally have family in Ras al-Khaimah and also another family in Abu Dhabi, and I live in Dubai. So my experiences since childhood passing by those cities, I was building this uh, visual memory. So I know if we reach to, let's say, Trade Center, that means we're in the middle of Dubai and so on. So I think everyone built their own landmarks, you know, without Google, without anything. The buildings that Asma references in her piece are still there along the Sheikh Zayed Road. They're harder to spot today with the rapid development of downtown Dubai, but they've imprinted themselves into the memories of Asma and many other people who lived in Dubai in those early years. And the relationship between the UAE's urban landscape and the people who grew up watching it change has really started to manifest in other ways. Let's say early 2000, like we called few of our cousins, nicknames that uh, associates with like a specific building that was built that time. Uh, like, for example, I have a cousin who's, who's called Amar Mitro because he was, um, the date of his birth is uh, associated with uh, when the uh, Metro Dubai was launched. Well, it, it's very, like, very subtle, but funny stories. And I do think that it, it brings those meaningful uh, relation between us and also those projects. They're, they're built, but then we're, we are included. She told us that even in the materials used to create the sculpture, she tried to recreate the same nostalgic picture of those buildings that exist in her mind's eye. First, she constructed a steel skeleton to support the concrete and fiberglass that would make up the building's facades. And then basically uh, pouring the concrete with fiberglass inside the mold and then basically sandwiching it with, uh, with the steel uh, structure. 
that is technically how it's uh, how it's done. But we're we're very happy with the process and the outcome. But instead of reflecting the building's real life colors, she chose to use an earthy shade of brown. And I think that associated with the idea of ritual uh, when I when I mentioned that when you go and visit your relatives, mainly you go some most of the time you go for lunch, like you know Friday lunch. Um, and then when you come back to your uh, hometown or your city, it will be around that time where it's beginning to uh, sunset. So I was trying to capture that light when you see it through buildings and landscape if you're coming back from that visit. So, um, yeah, it went through uh, yani, trials and suggestions. It all worked, alhamdulillah, and we're so happy with it. These buildings very much were part of our memories and very much part of our growing up years. And it's a very, very poignant artwork for me. Maybe because I have grown up during that period and it really reminds me very much of that time. And I want to be reminded of that time. Of course, these buildings today have almost been, have almost disappeared because they've been um, overtaken by other bigger achievements along the road and, and presence of other buildings. But for us, they were the beginning and they're the beginnings of where we are today. Next year, when Expo 2020 Dubai wraps up and the site begins to evolve into District 2020, Hayat hopes that the artwork can provide the same sense of nostalgia for residents as the Trade Center or the Toyota building did for her in the 1980s. Once the expo is over and the site converts into a residential, commercial, community, city or a district, it's very much these 11 artworks will become sort of landmarks for the future. And I think they will be the landmarks of the future generations who will remember them and see them and remember a point in time, very much like, you know, Asma's piece with the Trade Center. And I think every visitor to the expo will, will have a favorite because people do, you know, and, and the works will speak to different people in different ways and they will relate to them in different ways. They will be part of people's memories and they will be part of people's identity and they'll be part of people's way of life. You know, children would, would be exposed to these pieces and would make their own create their own imagination around them. Each piece has its own Google coordinates, which we'll link in the show notes. But if you're visiting the expo site, there's a high chance you'll stumble across the work anyway. They can do both. They can stumble if they wish to. However, they've been placed very much uh, along the circular inner road of expo. We have the labels. Once they, If they choose to stumble upon one, immediately on that one label, they will be able to identify where the others are located. Um, and immediately they can also locate them through the Google coordinates. And they really are right across the site. So, you, you know, if you were to visit the expo and only do a small part of the expo at each visit, because it's so large, then for sure you would come across one or two of the artworks, maybe three and four, but uh, they are all around and each one takes you into an imaginary world that's very different from the other. 
Inside Expo is an official podcast of Expo 2020 Dubai, connecting minds, creating the future. Learn more by visiting virtualexpodubai.com. Inside Expo is produced by Kerning Cultures Network. We release episodes every Tuesday and Friday. Subscribe to Inside Expo on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss an episode. If you enjoyed the show, share it with your friends and leave us a review.